Good morning, everyone. Um, so we are, if you're looking it up and following along on the um, Pew Bibles, um, this one is page 1166, and uh, the other plain one is um, page 822. So starting um, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 11. I have made a fool of myself, but you drove me to it. I ought to have been commended by you, but I am not in the least inferior, but, but I am not in the least inferior to the super apostles, even though I am nothing. The things that mark an apostle, signs, wonders and miracles were done among you with great perseverance. <clears throat> how, were you in, how were you inferior to other churches except that I was never a burden to you? Forgive me this wrong. Now I am ready to visit you for the third time and I will not be a burden to you because what I want is not your possessions but you. After all, children should not have to save up for their parents, but parents for their children. So I will very gladly spend for you everything I have and expend myself as well. If I love you more, will you love me less? But what as it may, but that as it may, I have not been a burden to you. Yet, crafty fellow that I am, I caught you by trickery. Did I not exploit you? Did I not exploit you, though any of you through any of the men I sent you? I urged Titus to go to you, and I sent our brother with him. Titus did not exploit you, did he? Did he not act in the same spirit and follow the same course? Have you been thinking all along that we have been defending ourselves to you? We have been speaking in the sight of God as those in Christ. And everything we do, dear friends, is for your strengthening. For I am afraid that when I come, I may not find you as I want you to be. And you may not find me as you want me to be. I fear that there may be some quarrelling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, factions, slander, gossip arrogance and disorder. I am afraid that when I come again, my God will humble me before you and I will be grieved over many who have sinned earlier and have not repented of the impurity, sexual sin and debauchery in which they have indulged. <clears throat> this will be my third visit to you. Every matter must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. I already gave you a warning when I was with you the second time and now repeat it while absent. On my return, I will not spare those who sinned earlier and any others since you are demanding proof that Christ is speaking through me. <clears throat> he is not weak in dealing with you, but is powerful among you. For to be sure, he was crucified in weakness yet he lives by the God's power. Likewise, we are weak in him, yet by God's power we will live with him and 
with him to serve you. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do, not, do you not realise that Christ Jesus is in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test. And I trust that you will discover that we have not failed the test. Now we pray to God that you will not do anything wrong. Not that people will see that we have stood the test, but that you will do what is right, even though we may seem to have failed. For we cannot do anything against the truth, but only for the truth. We are glad whenever we are weak, but you are strong. And our prayer is for your uh, perfection. This is why I write these things when I am absent, that when I come I may not have to be harsh uh, in my use of authority, the authority the Lord gave me for building you up, not tearing you down. Finally, brothers, goodbye. Aim for perfection, listen to my appeal, be of one mind, live in peace, and the God of love and peace be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the saints send their greetings. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Good morning. Have you ever considered a product review when you're trying to work out what to buy? Trust some testimonials? Maybe you go online. Do you ever do that? Whether you're trying to buy clothes or plan a holiday or a toy for your kids, is it uh, fair to say that online reviews often say as much about the reviewer as they do about the product? Do you know what I'm talking about? I could give you many examples, but one I came across recently was a review for a toy helicopter that I was thinking about for my kids. Don't tell them. A toy helicopter, a one-star review, one out of five, entitled, Helicopter Doesn't Slice Meat. <laughs> helicopter Doesn't Slice Meat. The reviewer wrote this, In my mind, the fast-spinning propellers would cut my turkey, salami, pepperoni, and importantly, my ham. This product simply refuses to slice deli meat. Not impressed, one star. Product reviews may be a test of the product, yes, but often we see it's also the reviewer who comes in for some examination as well, right? We see that also in a job interview. You think you're the one being tested, but then as you hear the questions, you start to get an idea about what the company is really like. You start to get an idea about what the interviewers really think is important. And the test goes both ways. And as we've seen in our passage in Corinthians, there's some tests going on that reveal more about the testers than about the one they're testing. Paul's final words in this passage of 2 Corinthians outlines three tests of a church. You're welcome to have a look in our sermon outline in the middle of the newsletter and make notes if you like. Three tests of the church, including the most important test of all, a test that cuts right through the test of the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
Why don't you join me in exploring this passage and the tests that it talks about. The passage picks up a recurring theme we've come to expect in 2 Corinthians. Paul's leadership is being put to the test, the test of a leader, and he's having to defend himself once again. Look from verse 11 of chapter 12. I've made a fool of myself, but you drove me to it. I ought to have been commended by you, for I am not in the least inferior to the super apostles, even though I am nothing. Paul's just made a fool out of himself in the previous passage. Just to catch you up, it was over the Corinthian view of what a leader should be, what a leader should look like. Paul noted earlier that some big talking super apostles kept bragging about their credentials kept bragging about how much money they earn, kept bragging about their letters of reference. That's now become the test that the Corinthians apply to a potential leader. Assessing the leader by worldly measures of success. Paul feels like a fool because he had to jump through their hoops and show how he was qualified. But as as we're about to see... There was something he couldn't bring himself to do. He wouldn't charge them a fee. Verse 13, he says sarcastically, How are you inferior to the other churches except that I was never a burden to you? Forgive me this wrong. The Corinthians were aggrieved that Paul didn't charge a speaker's fee like the other uh, self-assured leaders did. His uh, his rivals charged through the nose, in fact. I mean, who wouldn't charge a fee for their service? Imagine a consultant came to do your bookkeeping and they said, oh, no, I'll do all this for free. You'd start to think of something that was a little bit dodgy, right? Uh, And uh, you're booking a wedding DJ and uh, one says he'll do it for free, the other one says $300. You know, I'd probably be more inclined to look to the $300 one because... At least he's confident about his worth. Well, what's wrong with this test? It ignores the fact that some of the most important roles are done for free. You know who doesn't charge a fee for their service? Who doesn't charge for the gift of love and teaching? Who doesn't charge? It's parents. Parents never invoice the children they're raising... You know it, right? I I trained long and hard to get a maths degree and tutoring paid my way through uni for the best part. But when my son wanted to know about scientific notation last week, do you reckon I whipped out the invoice for $20 an hour? (laughs) No, I put my own work aside and I sat with him. Uh, Not all of us have maths skills, but there are woodworkers and electricians and nurses among you who would do the same thing for your kids. You wouldn't invoice them. And so to Paul, do you feel his passion in verse 14? I will not burden you. I will not be a burden to you because what I want is not your possessions, but you, after all, children shouldn't have to save up for their parents, but parents for their children. So so he'll spend everything he has and spend himself too and not expect a fee. Now, 
Obviously, Paul needed to eat, and so he had no problem taking a collection from mature churches, from mature Christians, but where money was going to get in the way, he refused it. Paul is being put to the test here because he's not charging, because he's not boasting about himself. What kind of leader is he if he won't produce letters of reference and he won't charge a fee? But we already know a parent would fail this test every day because leadership is about more than an invoice. Leadership is about more than reputation. The Corinthians are shown to be looking for the wrong credentials. And when they apply this test, it says more about their faults than it does about the person they're testing. They've lost sight of the much more important test, the test of Jesus Christ. For leaders like Paul, nothing is more important than modelling Christ. In the earlier, previous chapter of 2 Corinthians, he says this, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And that's a good motto for Christian leaders. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. Jesus Christ didn't have references or charge a fee. On the contrary, he willingly gave of himself to bring God's children into relationship with their loving father. He took time to deal with the poor, the oppressed, the children of his time. Christ is the shepherd seeking out the lost sheep. Christ is the mother scouring the house for the lost coin. Christ is the vine connecting his branches and so that they will bear fruit. These are things not done to make a financial profit. They're done with a greater test in mind and that's what Paul is trying to imitate. For leaders, the most important test isn't how much money you make or how much fame you have. For leaders, the most important test is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The irony that comes out of this passage is that when the church imposes the wrong test on its leaders, as the Corinthians were, it turns out the church starts to fail as well. From verse 19 of chapter 2. Have you been thinking all along that we've been defending ourselves to you? We've been speaking in the sight of God as those in Christ. And everything we do, dear friends, is for your strengthening, for I'm afraid... That when I come, I may not find you as I want you to be, and you may not find me as you want me to be. I fear there may be quarrelling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, factions, slander, gossip, arrogance and disorder. I'm afraid. Paul outlines his greater fears here. He might be concerned about them rejecting his leadership, but he's even more concerned about them failing to live as God's people under the test of Christ. And he's concerned because if he does find that they're failing, it's not going to be an easy visit when he comes to them. He'd like to find them accommodating and generous. They'd like him to be accommodating and generous when he turns up, but they won't find him as the parent helping with the homework. They'll find him as the parent handing out the discipline. But Paul doesn't want to speak like a parent. Did you see how he changes the way he addresses them? Earlier, he compared himself to a parent. But now in verse 19, what does he say? He addresses them as dear friends. He's trying to change from the voice of a parent to the voice of a friend. If you've had anything to do with teenagers, you'll know that that's difficult. 
as you'd love to treat them as friends, but sometimes what they need is a parent. And in this passage, that's what's happening. How are the Corinthians failing? There's disunity. The church members can't get along. There's grumbling and division against each other. And even when their sin has been exposed, verse 21 says, they've sinned and not repented of their impurity. And so Paul wants to treat them as dear friends, but he's got to come back to the parent language. Verse 2 of chapter 13, I already gave you a warning when I was with you. I now repeat it. On my return, I will not spare those who sinned earlier or any of the others. Can you feel the agony? Paul wants them to be dear friends, but it's time for a reality check. Imagine the audacity of the the Christians, or of the Corinthians rather, to think that they should put Paul in the spotlight for his leadership credentials when all the while they are failing to follow. There's disunity, there's disharmony, there's grumbling and unrepentant sin. So Paul has to step up as leader and deal with these problems Because in these things, the Corinthians show they've ignored the most important test, the test of the gospel of Jesus Christ. As we read through this list of symptoms of the Corinthian church, we have to ask, are we at risk of the same failings? Are we playing factional games instead of focusing on Christ? Are we testing our leaders when at the same time there's quarrelling and disunity? We want people to find the church to be relevant and important. I'm sure you agree. We want more people coming through the doors. But how do we do that or expect that when we then display the same problems as any group that they would find out there? How on earth will church be attractive if we look exactly the same as any other group? For a church, the most important test is not how big it is, or how impressive its music is, or how tolerant it is. For a church, the most important test is the test of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Are we looking to the gospel of Christ as the foundation for what we're building? Christ who seeks reconciliation. Christ who promotes unity in his people. Christ who seeks the lost rather than trying to elevate himself in the pecking order. As Paul said in Philippians 2, Christ is the highest of them all, but he took on the nature of a servant to bring all people to God. And so if you have any connection with Christ, any unity in the spirit, then set yourselves on a common purpose, which is to bring glory to God the Father among his people. Perhaps you've seen disunity in a church. Perhaps you've seen unrepentant sin. Let the Corinthians serve as a warning to you. If you want to be treated as mature friends rather than as children, then cut the disunity. Be mature by recognising that Christ is witness to every conversation you have. Seek to serve him by setting Christ as the foundation for everything you talk about and everything you do. And only then will it build up the church. Now, you've heard me saying that the most important test is Christ. It's been applied to leaders 
It's been applied to churches. I'm aware that this passage has so far had a warning for everyone and there's potential that you will be squirming just as the Corinthians were. When we test our lives against the standard of Jesus Christ, each of us is brought undone for we see that we have not lived up to that standard. The real question is this, is the church too far gone? Are we too weak for Christ to heal? Well, no, friends, we are not, because Christ overcomes our weakness. That's the good news of this passage. From chapter 13, verse 3, you are demanding proof Christ is speaking through me. He is not weak in dealing with you, but is powerful among you. For to be sure, he was crucified in weakness, yet he lives by God's power. Likewise, we are weak in him, yet by God's power, we will live with him to serve you. Christ isn't weak. Even in what he looked like at his weakest point, Jesus displayed his crowning achievement. He rose from the dead. And Jesus' death and resurrection becomes the most important test there is. Let me explain. Let's put Christ to the test. The Bible tells us that Christ was perfectly obedient. He never sinned. Well, let's put him to the Corinthian test. He was hardly wealthy. He didn't have great references from the synagogue. Far from it. He was crucified, executed like a criminal, as a criminal, on a cross outside the city. How weak must that have looked? There were even records of onlookers reviewing him with contempt. You call yourself a saviour, they said in Luke. Call yourself a saviour, you can't even save yourself. The Bible tells us that death is the punishment for disobeying God. So Jesus died, but he had never disobeyed God. Why then did he have to die? Well, that act of apparent weakness turned out to be the greatest display of power that the world has ever seen. It was a powerful act of love. Jesus consented to die as a payment for your disobedience. For our disobedience. He died in our place. He defeated the power of death over us. So when you feel guilt or shame, when you realize that you don't meet God's perfect standard, then Jesus offers you his death for yours. He dies the death you would otherwise need to pay. What looked like an act of weakness. Jesus' death on the cross is actually the power of God for you who believe. Just as Jesus displayed his power, he said he would. Just as the prophets predicted it happened, Jesus rose from the dead in power. And then this is the real test for us. Do you believe? Do you believe in Jesus who died on the cross in what looked like weakness, but was an act of power, power to change our lives and power displayed in his resurrection from the dead. Do you accept his punishment for yours? Do you trust him to pay all that you owe? All who put their trust in him will never be ashamed. 
the price is paid. This is the test. And this is the test that Paul is talking about. See verse 5. Examine yourselves, he tells the Corinthians, to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realise that Christ Jesus is in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test. Unless, of course, you fail the test. If you believe that Christ died, not for his sin, but for your sin, if you believe the price is paid, if you accept that sacrifice, then you have no condemnation to worry about, no matter what the world tells you. The rest of the unbelieving world doesn't get this. To them, Jesus' death looks like weakness. A great leader, a great teacher, but just died like all the others. But to those of us who are in Christ Jesus, this is a great display of power that the world, the greatest display that the world has ever seen and that the world will ever see. Jesus' death for us and his resurrection in power. The implications are astounding because what looked like weakness is actually power and the Corinthian test is around the wrong way. See verse 9. We are glad whenever we are weak, but you are strong, and our prayer is for your perfection. We rejoice. Paul shuns payment and preaches for free. Is that weakness? It looks weak in the eyes of the world, but it's Christ's power. When a church member submits to godly leaders, that can look like weakness. But if the test is Christ, then it is a display of power. It may look like weakness to submit until we see that Jesus' submission was his most powerful display of love. And when we as a church build each other up, when we forgo our rights and put others first to promote love, when we appear weak for our insistence on truth rather than popularity, and when we replace our preferences for God's standards, well, the world would pass these things off as weakness but we know they are the power of Christ. And it's the sort of powerful love that the world longs for because it doesn't get that anywhere else. This is why Paul writes to the church not to tear them down, but to build them up, to remind them of the most important test that they are to examine themselves by the test of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And like Paul, we must not submit to the test that the world imposes, but we must submit to the test of Christ too. This has really big implications for you and for me, for those of us who are in Christ. I want you to be sure that setting a godly example is more important than worldly success. If you're a parent, I want to reassure you that setting a godly example for your children is more important than the measure of success they might otherwise use. It might require a Christian parent to say no to that promotion in order to spend more time developing their children and their faith or to say no to that second job. The world would see that sort of stuff as weakness 
but you will be trusting in the true test and convincing those around you what's really important. And I know parents who've done just that. Students, your pursuit of what really matters might mean you miss out on some study time to read the Bible. Or you might miss going out with your friends because it's time to go to church. Or you might pursue something different than what your friends think is a really lucrative and attractive career. And when we think of people who submit to Christ rather than worldly success, we don't have to look far. Think of Alex and Sheena Chen who uh, went to this church and are now our friends uh, serving in Sydney, both of them giving up their medical careers to share the word of Christ with university students. I wonder what their extended family thought about giving up a medical career for Christ. It looks like weakness, but it is a show of power. These are the things that the world outside the church may not value, but let me assure you, these things are of immense value. And in light of the test, Paul then begins to say his goodbyes. From verse 11, Finally, brothers, goodbye, brothers and sisters, aim for perfection, listen to my appeal, be of one mind, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the saints send their greetings. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Did you notice Paul doesn't speak as a parent here? Nor does he try to address them as dear friends, but he addresses them as dear brothers and sisters. Paul's church is not one of a superstar and his fans, but one of brothers and sisters. Because... They are all under the same test, the test of Christ Jesus. That's why Paul calls his people to unity and peace. Did you notice how much of Paul's language here is about peace? Just in these closing verses, be of the same mind, be at peace, have unity. And may the God of peace be with you. Selfish ambition is not his goal, nor should it be ours. The foundation of Christ is not consistent with stirring up dissent. It should be about peace. The test of Christ requires us to strive for peace and unity, just as Christ did, even if it means we look weak. Of course, that's going to vary in how we apply it. But one thing is common to all. The most important test of any situation is the test of the gospel of Jesus Christ. How does what Jesus did make a difference to what I'm supposed to do now? And so when someone thinks it makes you look like a fool to follow Christ, just remember the test that they're applying says more about them than it does about you. Because they've failed to apply the most important test, the test of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so... May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are a great and powerful God, but in your Son you chose to display weakness so that we might see what true power was. Lord, it's not the power of this world. It's something much greater. Lord, 
We want to tap into that power. Help us today to put our trust and faith in Christ and what he did. And may all else in our life fade away and be stripped away until we are building on the true foundation. In your son's name we pray. Amen.